Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Antioch. It's good to see you all today. I am glad you're here. Oh my. We will be in our Luke 9 passage here in a moment, but first I want to introduce myself. Um, My name is Kip Jones. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm aware that many of you might not know who I am because I don't spend a lot of time up here on stage. And I think for those of you who do know who I am, probably thought I couldn't speak. So (laughs) see how it goes. My role here at Antioch doesn't fit the typical role uh, that people think of when it comes to a pastor, because I do things like finances and technology. But the truth is, God has called me as a pastor, and I care about you guys as a pastor. I love you as a pastor. (laughs) So today, this might be outside of my typical skill set or job description, but my heart has always been for this church. I've given the last 17 years of my life to this congregation. So it is an honor to give my first sermon today. (laughs) Selfishly, I'm also hoping that after I complete this first sermon, I'll now be considered for a sabbatical. This is my 17th year. (laughs) I think this is the last checkbox on the things I need to get done here, so we'll see. I want to tell you a little bit about my story. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home like Pete. I'm a PK. I'm a preacher's kid. I really never missed church or any church event. I went to middle school and high school youth groups religiously. I wore Christian bracelets. I read Christian books. I listened to all the 80s and 90s Christian music, all of it. (laughs) Here in the Northwest, I went to all the Christian music festivals, Jesus Northwest, Creation Fest, did them all. I remember as a kid asking Jesus into my heart hundreds of times, hundreds of times. In spite of all that, looking back on my high school and college years, I don't think I actually had a genuine relationship with Jesus. I knew how to blend in with other Christians. I could talk the talk, but my walk was a facade. Some of you might know this about me, but I'm a huge Seahawk fan. I wear the gear. Uh, This fall on game days, you'll be able to look at me and say, that person is a fan of the Seahawks. I think anybody could have looked back at me then and knew that I was a huge fan of Jesus. But I was not a follower of Jesus. I think this passage today speaks to this distinction and hopefully shines a light on this journey from being a fan to becoming a follower of Jesus. Okay, so Luke 9, 51 through 62 is our passage today. This is the third Sunday after Pentecost, so let's start right here with verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Luke, the author here, is clearly pointing out that this is the start of Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem. As the time approached literally means as the days were being fulfilled. 
Here's the context. If you look at the text a little earlier in Luke 9, Jesus predicts his death twice, and then he's transfigured before Peter, James, and John. So you can see there's a lot leading up to this point in the story. He predicts his death twice, and now he resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. The Greek here is he set his face. He locked in on Jerusalem. I don't know why I'm putting at Primeville, but he locked in <laughs> on Jerusalem. I'm a father of three, and I know what it means for a human to lock in on something because I've seen it multiple times. My oldest, Asher, who is seven, knows how to lock in. This poor kid can barely sleep at night if, we know we're, if he knows we're doing something fun the next day. It doesn't matter if it's a new toy, treat, game. It doesn't matter. He will not stop thinking about it. He will not stop talking about it until it happens. This here is a little different. This is Jesus we're talking about, not a seven-year-old boy. But in the same sense, Jesus has locked in. Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He knows what this last journey to Jerusalem is leading to. And he's fixed on this path towards his destiny. Some of you who have been with us each year on this journey through the church calendar might be wondering why we're talking about Jesus on his way to Jerusalem to die. That seems more like a Lent kind of passage. So as you know, we are currently in ordinary time. It's the season between Pentecost and Advent. Ordinary time is all about learning how to live out the Christian life. So we are not here today to learn about what happened to Jesus. We are here today to learn how to correctly follow him in our Christian lives. Specifically, we will look at five defining marks to following Jesus. There are many fans of Jesus. Many people who like Jesus, who like his teachings, who like to come to church, who like to wear Christian shirts, who hold up Bibles, who like to wave Christian flags. The mistake is thinking that being a fan of Jesus means that you are a follower. As I know, they are not the same thing. What is so encouraging when I look out at all of you is that I know that everyone that calls Antioch their home wants to be a follower of Jesus. Amen? Okay. Okay, at the very beginning of Luke um, chapter 9, we learn that John the Baptist has just been killed, and now we are seeing Jesus' disciples being sent ahead of him to prepare the way. Verse 52 starts, and he sent a messenger on ahead, messengers on ahead, and went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Most of you probably noted uh, in these verses that this was a Samaritan village that didn't welcome Jesus. And what was the reason for not welcoming him? It's because he was heading to Jerusalem. What is going on here? What do we know about the Jews and Samaritans from Scripture? We know that they didn't like each other at all. The Samaritans were Israelites that did not get exiled. And then they intermixed with the Assyrians. That's why the Jews did not like the Samaritans. The Samaritans did not like the Jews because the Jews did not allow them to participate in rebuilding the Jerusalem temple. So the Samaritans ended up building their own temple to God, a rival temple on their holy mount of Gerizim. 
You might remember when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, she says, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place you must worship is in Jerusalem. She is referring to these two temple locations and the few that has separated these communities over the centuries. Even worse, the Jews destroyed the Samaritan temple 140 years before Jesus' public ministry. So you can see that these wounds are deep, very deep. No Samaritan wanted to assist with a Jew heading towards Jerusalem. Look at this map. Samaria is located right between Jewish Galilee, where Jesus and most of his disciples lived. That's the star at the top. And Jerusalem, where Jesus and his followers visited during the, the festivals. They traveled between these two locations many times a year. Most of the time, they traveled on the other side of the Jordan River. But straight through Samaria was the quickest route. And remember, Jesus has his face set towards Jerusalem. The question we are asking ourselves today when looking at our text is, what defining mark do you see when it comes to following Jesus? The answer for the Samaritan village is to, to follow Jesus is to recognize him, to welcome him, to see him. Many Samaritans in other stories saw Jesus, listened to him, and their lives were forever changed. These Samaritans in this village missed Jesus because they were too busy fighting this old battle between themselves and the Jews. And they missed him. They missed Jesus on his final journey. How many times do you think we've missed an opportunity to follow Jesus' lead because we were too busy with doing something else or too angry to see what was happening right before us? Jesus likes to show up in different places and in different ways in our lives. Therefore, we need to pay attention to him. What if Jesus wants to show up at your work, in class, on the mountain, whenever and wherever you are? To follow Jesus is to recognize him in all parts of our lives. Let's continue, verse 54. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. How did James and John react? They want to completely destroy this village with fire being thrown down from heaven, as if those two sons of thunder could actually do such a thing. They know the scriptures, and they remember back in the book of Kings when Elijah did the very same thing twice to the enemies there. James and John believe that the conclusion of the situation, the fact that the Samaritans won't welcome Jesus, and the response of throwing fire down upon them is the right response, mainly because it's seemingly biblical. They could claim that this is the right response according to scripture. When we learn about history, both past and present, how many times have you heard such justification for the Crusades, for slavery in America, for mistreating women, for revenge, for committing violence against a person? It's in scripture, right? Jesus 
rebukes them. This rebuke is a strong correction. Jesus has rebuked demons. He has rebuked fevers. He has rebuked storms. This is the first time Jesus has rebuked disciples. Why did Jesus rebuke them? A little earlier in Luke 9, 5, Jesus taught these very, these very disciples, if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus just taught them how to handle situ situations like this a week ago, and they are so soon to forget. Theologian Norval Geldenhuis says, in our loyalty to Christ, however zealous it may be, we must be constantly on our guard that we do not act with a spirit out of harmony with his or follow methods of which he would not approve. Our next defining mark is to follow Jesus is to act in the spirit of him. It is to constantly be saying, and I cannot believe I am saying this right now. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Our goal is not to win. In that moment, James and John saw the world as a thing to conquer, like the kings and leaders did before them. It is interesting that those closest to Jesus, that of Peter, James, and John, they all get rebuked by Jesus when it comes to violence against others. Remember Peter grabbing the sword in the garden and slicing off the soldier's ear? Jesus says, no more of this. This mark of a follower is to act in the spirit of Jesus. We need to honestly assess our lives in comparison with the way Jesus lived his life. Because there are countless examples of the way he lived his life that are different to the way that we live and our world operates. Jesus's commitment to nonviolence goes against the way of the world. Jesus's commitment to sacrificial giving goes against the way of the world and how our heart wants to hold on to things. If your understanding of the Bible leads you to do things that Jesus would never do, then I think you might be missing the big picture. We must act in the spirit of him. Let's continue. Uh, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If I was this follower and Jesus responded to me with that, I would be like, so can I follow you? Like, can I follow you? Uh, Jesus' response is a little weird. This potential disciple, disciple eagerly says, I will follow you. It sounds good, right? Sounds great. But Jesus, like always, knows this person's heart. We are not given the reason, but perhaps this person thinks that Jesus is a young rabbi and is making a name for himself. And he wants to ride on Jesus' successes. If you remember, Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem and is preparing to be lifted up on a cross. We can conclude that this is not the success story that this would-be disciple was hoping to be a part of. Jesus pointed out that he has no hole, no nest, no place to lay his head. This is not a life of luxury. This is not a life of comfort. 
Our next defining mark is to follow Jesus, is to count the cost. To say it differently, it means that the Christian life is not a life of comfort and success. The kingdom of God is one of sacrifice, of giving, of pursuing justice. Some of you know what this looks like. You have suffered. You have set aside your wishes and desires for the kingdom of God. You have counted the cost of following him. Antioch, it's a paradox. When you lose your life, you actually find it. When you care for the poor, the oppressed, the widow, creation, you are living out this defining mark of counting the cost. Henry Nowen says, to be a Christian who is willing to travel with Christ on his downward road requires being willing to detach oneself constantly from any need to be relevant and to trust ever more deeply the word of God. There is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost to ushering in God's kingdom. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. In verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The reply of this follower, Lord, first let me go bury my father, in itself is a reasonable response. He, in essence, is saying, I want to follow you. I'm willing to follow you, but I need to do this first. Most scholars believe that what is really being said here is, my dad is old, and I should stay home until he dies. It was considered an insult to leave your father early and go do your own thing before he dies. The parable of the prodigal son would be an example of this, leaving before your dad's death, asking for your inheritance early to do your own thing. Not okay. Not okay. Jesus' reply of let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God shows us that as a disciple of Christ, our priority in life should be ushering in God's kingdom. The vision statement of this church, of Antioch, is the reconciliation of all things. Our goal is to be a part of God's new kingdom coming to earth. So here at Antioch, we care deeply about this congregation understanding the importance of being a part of proclaiming God's kingdom. We sometimes have many excuses for why we cannot proclaim the kingdom of God. We oftentimes hide behind family and other obligations. I've realized now that these excuses in our lives are idols. They are more important to us than God's kingdom. How many of you are starting to sweat in your seat right now? Yeah. It's okay. It's all good. I remember years ago when God was calling me to lay down one of my idols, security. I'm one of those people that does not make a move in life until I already have the next thing figured out and lined up and ready to go. I make sure I cover all my bases and each move in life is where I'm better off now than where I was. That is how I operate. That is my default. That is why I handle the church finances. <laughs> yeah. God was asking me to lay down this idol. He wanted me to trust him. He wanted me to quit my job of five years and help start a new church here in town for 500 bucks a month. 
Everything in me was saying, Kip, this is not a smart move. But the call was so strong, asking me to lay down this idol to prioritize his kingdom. I'm so glad I listened. You might have heard of this church. It's called Antioch. So our fourth defining mark is to follow Jesus is to prioritize the kingdom of God. We must constantly ask, what are we putting in place of God's kingdom? Is it family, entertainment, vacations, sports, making money, eating, drinking, your career, your business? I want us to try a little imaginative exercise. If you would indulge me, I want you all to close your eyes I want you to imagine Jesus here with us in this very room. I want you to imagine him going to each one of us and asking, what idol do you need to lay down to fully follow me? The goal of this is not to make you feel guilty. The goal is for you to identify what that idol is. So think about this. What idol or idols do you need to lay down to help you fully follow Jesus? I'm gonna give you a moment. I hope with this little exercise, you were able to identify at least one idol that is competing for your relationship with Christ. It's okay to ask this question, where does God's kingdom rank in my list of priorities? These types of questions help us keep the kingdom of God and his reconciliation of all things at our forefront. Okay, one more defining mark, starting in verse 61. 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Michelle Jones said last week that Luke is an amazing storyteller. Luke is an amazing storyteller, and he is quoting Jesus, who is a masterful storyteller. Jesus' response might not make sense to us unless we dive in a little more. Do you remember at the beginning of our passage when James and John wanted to throw down fire on the Samaritans? They were using the actions of Elijah to justify their their reasoning. In the verses prior to our passage today, the disciples were asking which of them would be greatest. They were thinking about Elijah and the disciples that he had and how Elisha stood out among the rest of the other disciples. Let's look at a paraphrased version version of 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21 that Jesus is drawing from here when replying to this follower. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. So Elisha left him and went back. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Jesus uses the discipleship story of Elijah and Elisha to further teach his disciples and would-be followers that his call for God's kingdom is different. It's different than the story of Elijah. Postponing God's kingdom here on earth is never the answer. 
Jesus is teaching us that the kingdom of God takes priority over everything else in our lives. New Testament theologian Marilyn Salmon says, Jesus' response to a legitimate request to postpone the journey reminds Christians in every generation that there are always justifiable excuses to defer the journey to put off the claims of discipleship. Other important matters compete for our attention. Some must make heart-wrenching choices, but there is urgency about Jesus' mission to bring forth God's reign. Jesus compels us to proclaim the kingdom of God. This is our Christian vocation and must be our first priority. God's kingdom is countercultural, and none of us are going to get following Jesus right every time throughout the course of our lives. That is why our final defining mark is to follow Jesus requires a long obedience in the same direction. If you look back while plowing a field, you mess up your lines. A modern day equivalent of this is if you're driving a car on the highway and you keep looking in the back seat, you're gonna get in a wreck. You're gonna, you're gonna cause a big accident. You are not fit for the kingdom of God. You can't be looking at two places at the same time. You have to choose to continue looking in the same direction. A long obedience is allowing Jesus to mold you while you keep your eyes on him and follow him through the rest of your life. As encouragement, you are doing this every time you come to Antioch, whether you're aware of it or not. One of our six practices is formation. You are being formed when you participate in our Sunday services. The prayers we pray, the songs we sing are all ways Jesus is forming us while we are here worshiping. We are not a church of consumers. We are participants. Antioch, here are the defining marks of following Jesus from our passage today. To follow him is to recognize him. It is to act in the spirit of him. It's to count the cost. It is to prioritize the kingdom of God and requires a long obedience in the same direction. This is not like the seven habits of highly affected people. This is not a formula that guarantees you success in being a follower of Christ. But these are marks of a follower and I believe are areas that we should pay attention to in our lives. So Antioch family, may we be people that are not defined as fans of Jesus, but as followers of Jesus. That we live our lives in such a way that is clear to every single person around us that we follow him with our whole hearts. How we live, how we act, how we treat people, how we worship is different because we are more than fans of Jesus. We are truly followers of Jesus. Jerry Schultz is going to come up and lead us in communion.